Hello, I'm Kieran Beer, Chief Analyst and Director of Editorial Content for ACAMS, the largest association for anti-financial crime professionals in the world. Welcome to my podcast series, Financial Crime Matters with Kieran Beer. In this episode, I speak with Maureen Maloney, Professor of Public Policy at Simon Fraser University. Maureen is a former Deputy Minister to the BC Attorney General and the first woman to serve as Deputy Attorney General for the province. She talks about her role as the chair of the expert panel on combating money laundering in real estate in British Columbia and details its recommendations for stemming the flow of funds from transnational criminals into BC and all of Canada. Here we go. You were the chair of the expert panel on combating money laundering in real estate in British Columbia. Tell me about that project. There had been some very good investigative reporting done by major newspapers outlining how much money laundering was going on in BC. And then when you added to that the extraordinary rise in house prices in Vancouver and the number of offshore investors in real estate, there was a worry that maybe there was some combination between those two things. And so they asked an expert panel, myself, Dr. Bridget Unger from Utrecht University, and also Dr. Sir Somerville from UBC School of Management, to look at whether or not there was such a thing and to look about some recommendations that could be made for the provincial government. How big was the problem that you discovered? We found that just over $47 billion was washed through the Canadian economy in 2018 and of that we estimated that $7.3 billion was in BC. We looked at that and we said where is that money going? Sir Somerville, who was the expert on housing, looked at that money and we said, how would normally rich people spend money? And so we took the same types of percentages and applied it. We came up that approximately 70% would be spent on real estate. And so we determined that about $5.8 billion would be in real estate. What did the study find in terms of the connection between money laundering and real estate? The amount estimated went into real estate was throughout BC. That meant that we estimated that would be a 5% increase in all housing in BC as a result of that money being put into it. But if in fact money launderers were investing heavily in Vancouver or in Whistler, which has a lot of non-domestic ownership, then those rates might be considerably more than 5%. It could be 10 or 15, or even if there were certain areas right. in Vancouver. So those estimates could go way up with respect to that. So how much were you able to say that this money is connected to transnational criminal organizations, kleptocrats from countries that are trying to get money out? What did you conclude about that? We didn't make any definitive conclusions on that at all because the data that we were looking at, we did try and look at that, but the data on it is quite sketchy. The data that we used for that was primarily UN data that's collected from all the member countries. Now, some countries like Canada and the US put in reliable data into the UN and other countries not so much. In terms of using that data, we thought that the vast majority of money in BC, and we didn't do all of Canada, was coming probably from the US, but China was a much less significant part of that, which didn't lead us to believe that there was hardly any money coming in from China. It was that maybe the data and the statistics were not good enough for us to really make definitive conclusions about where that money was coming from. But you did, as a result, conclude that 
A, there was a need to have controls in place so there was better information and, and also to regulate this in some way. Very much so, because one of the things that we found that if this much money is being washed through BC, looking at the international press like the New York Times, the Guardian of London yeah. and other international newspapers, we're actually finger pointing Canada and particularly BC as a location for money laundering. Yeah. And that was partly, I think, driven by our very, very high house prices, because it's very easy and quicker to money launder money through a $12 million home than right. it is through buying five in a small place like Saskatchewan. So clearly was an issue. And one of the reasons why it's so easy to do it in British Columbia and indeed the rest of Canada and the rest of the provinces is that we have no beneficial ownership regulations. International Transparency did a couple of years ago a look at the top 100 expensive homes in Vancouver and found that half of those homes were actually registered to either companies, nominees, or trusts, which we don't know who owns them. Now, that's quite legitimate. You're absolutely allowed to do that. But we said we need to find out who owns these properties. Fortunately, the British Columbia government has brought in the Land Ownership Transparency Act, which now requires, prospectively, not retrospectively, prospectively requires people who buy property to identify specifically who has a share of more than 10% of beneficial ownership of that property. So that will at least be much more transparent. It's going to be a public registry that we can all look at. And one of our recommendations was that we also have to do that for the company's registry. That has not been done so far, but certainly Canada and the other provinces have said that they will try and make movement towards that. BC has come up with this registry. It's a model in some cases for some of the other provinces, and also the federal government has moved to have something that's more common. Is that correct? The federal government don't really have that much say because of the constitution over real property apart from property they own themselves, of course. I'm certainly hoping, I can't speak for others, the rest of the provinces will adopt very similar legislation to that that has been adopted with respect to real estate. The federal government and the provinces have said that they will look at trying to find out some uniform regulations, not for one massive company registry, but the uniform regulations that will apply in each of the provinces to their particular legislation and to the federal company's legislation. Yes, and I suppose that's important too because we're picking on BC here and Vancouver, but there's lots of apartment buildings here in Toronto where we are where the lights never seem to go on and they seem to be held by distant owners that may be unknown. And while our report wasn't specifically on Toronto, certainly Transparency International have done similar findings to those in Vancouver with respect to how many high-end properties are owned by unnamed companies. We don't know whether they're shell companies. We have no idea who owns those companies. So again, it will be very important that Toronto, but throughout Canada, adopts the same type of legislation. And the report, in addition to the recommendations you've described, made some other kinds of broader recommendations. Can you talk a little bit about some of those? The broadest and probably the most expensive one that we made, which is why it may not be implemented, is that there should be actually a financial intelligence unit in the province itself. We have FinTrack federally, but we felt that given that the provinces are so different in the ways that money is laundered through them, that it would be helpful to have somebody who in the province actually looked at granular details about what is happening in BC and clearly feeding that into the federal FinTrack 
process, and that would be great if all the other provinces would do it too. So we would have a much clearer handle on what is happening and how it's happening, and also be prospective so we can be adapting to the types of changes that are taking place in money laundering. You were also, in your role as a law professor, looking at sort of the wider issues for Canada, perceptions that the legal framework now has problems insofar as bringing prosecutions, some of the privacy standards don't allow the kinds of information sharing with law enforcement. Did you make any recommendations about that? Do you have any recommendations about that going off the report even? No, we didn't make any recommendations about that because they are specifically federal recommendations and really have nothing to do with the province. Although we did make many recommendations about federal anti-money laundering, so I, I can't quite say that. The reality is, with something with which I'm in complete agreement with, is that we have the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms But that, and the way it has been interpreted by our Supreme Court of Canada, has been very much on the side of privacy rights. I'm a complete believer in privacy rights, but I think maybe given that we need more transparency and given how much we've tipped over in using those privacy rights, and particularly the privacy rights of unreasonable search and seizure in Section 8 of the Charter, I think we may need to have a reformulation or a look about how that's going to work in terms of moving forward with prosecutions in money laundering and financial crime generally. So. Well, you mentioned the Charter of Rights, so that also leads to this issue about where the Supreme Court has so far kept attorneys out of the reporting requirements for FinTrack and for money laundering. How big a problem is not just uh, attorneys and the other professions, yeah. and what were your recommendations on that? All other professions are included in FinTrack, and in fact, lawyers were included when the anti-money laundering legislation was put in, but then the Federation of Law Societies, which are all the law societies of Canada, took it to the court to sort of say, no, this infringes on solicitor client privilege, which is a, a very important right that we have to think about. Interestingly, I think in every other financial action task force country, lawyers are required to report to the Financial Intelligence Agency. Also With pre- the exception of, uh, in the U.S., the ABA has, right, made, has prevented well, that from true. happening, yeah, too. <laughs> the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that lawyers indeed should not be caught by FinTrack because of the importance of solicitor-client privilege. So that means that lawyers have no requirement to do so. The only requirement they have to do so, it depends on the individual law societies, but if you have suspicious transactions, you don't report them to anybody, you just can't act for that client. But we have no idea whether that client just simply goes to another lawyer who isn't quite as observant or isn't quite as worried about suspicious transactions. So we think that that is a, a very big loophole because if people can just put a lot of money into a lawyer's trust account, nobody ever finds out about it. That is a really big gaping hole in our system to attack money laundering. The BC Law Society, and I think many others, although I haven't done it province by province look at it, They are trying to look at doing more audits and checking trust accounts and having more rules around those and how it might be. Our recommendation, and I don't know whether it will be accepted or not, is that we think even if, and they won't, the individual lawyer will not report the suspicious transaction to FinTrack, which they are not required to, legally they cannot actually, that they should report it to the Law Society and the Law Society should investigate and take appropriate action without it going to... Now, we haven't had any feedback from that, either from the Law Society or from the government, so 
I don't know whether that will happen, but I think something has to happen if a suspicious transaction comes up because that is an enormous gaping loophole. So as you said, real estate professionals have a reporting obligation. And why is it my impression that there's not an awareness of that among real estate agents? Is that working? Are we seeing a change with them being included in the reporting? Uh, Not at the moment, in fact. The mortgage brokers who run the real estate companies were required to report to FinTrack, but when we actually asked for the numbers there, absolutely minuscule. So they're clearly not living up to their responsibilities because they must have suspicious transactions. Fortunately, because we've now said that we want every regulatory body, including the BC Council of Realtors, to have a mandate for money laundering in their overall legislation, the Council of Real Estate has said, no, they're going to start doing mandatory education on money laundering for all realtors and that they are going to insist that realtors report any suspicious transactions and they will take action if they find out not to have done so. So, But I don't know what action it will be. They haven't (laughs) specified that. But it's going to be something. Unexplained wealth orders, this is something that gets kicked around a lot. I'm going to link it to the fact that asset seizure in Canada seems tough. It seems tough for the government to seize assets and there isn't really an unexplained wealth order. Talk to me about that. We do have a system of proceeds of crime, which is a criminal... Very rare that we ever have proceeds of crime criminally brought because the onus there is mens rea, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. So most prosecutors, once they've got a predicate crime, send it off to the civil jurisdiction for a civil forfeiture. That is much easier to prove because it's a balance of probabilities. That works if you're dealing with nationals who are involved in money laundering because you've got the predicate crime here, we have the evidence for it and we can get it and then we can pursue it either criminally or through civil legislation. However, prosecutors told the panel that the problem is if you have an international money launderer coming in and the crime has been committed elsewhere, perhaps in the US, then it's much more difficult to get the predicate crime information. If it's the US, it's not too bad because we have a mutual assistance agreement and we share a lot of important information. But other countries, like China, won't give you that information. And so it means that you can't prove the predicate crime in court or even in civilly because you don't have the information to show the predicate crime. So it means that it's very difficult to ever get expropriation of property through civil forfeiture or proceeds of crime, even though you may have very large suspicions that that has happened. You've said Canada's laws right now mean that it's one of the better places to launder money, that it's a little bit like a sign. Your money's welcome here, a little too much. Tell me, in putting this in perspective, lots of changes, amendments to the proceeds of crime and money laundering and terror finance act, and some changes around ownership at the federal level for corporate registration, the movement that you're starting to have with real estate. Are we seeing a change? Are you optimistic that at least... Canada will be a little less welcome place for money launderers. Optimism might be too strong a word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm certainly not as pessimistic, let's say. Partly that's because it has become, certainly in BC, but I think in Canada generally, money laundering is now seen as very corrosive of our society 
because it's also linked, of course, to human trafficking. It's linked to the fentanyl crisis that we have now, where we've had thousands of people die on our street or in their homes. And so people realize that there is a real link between these two issues and that Canada has to start taking it seriously. There is a real recognition that Canada has been very lax. We have very little transparency. It's very easy to come in here. We have very few prosecutions. We have relatively, certainly compared to European countries and the states, we have very little civil forfeiture even. We really need to up our game. There's just no doubt about that. Well, I'm going to make that the final word. Maureen Maloney, professor of public policy at Simon Fraser University and the chair of the expert panel on combating money laundering in real estate in British Columbia. Thanks for taking this time to talk with me. Thank you very much, Kieran. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Professor Maureen Maloney. And if you did, that you'll subscribe to the podcast series on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Because financial crime matters to me and to you. See you next time.